the legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner. Mixed with blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar for the perfect balance of sweet, salty, and sour every time. Discover legendary taste with Cayman Jack, America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois. And we are back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Third. I'm Lewis, first, only, traditional gay man. I've been thinking of rebranding as just Ira the Third. Thoughts? Uh, uh, it, it's it's very rapper-like to me, which of course you are not. But you know, I could lay down some fat beats. You know, hit them in the streets, etc. Those two those two words do almost <laughs> rhyme. You're on the right track. <laughs> well. Anyway, while I um, ruminate over that, you know, send in your thoughts, um, you know, whatever, comment on Instagram, on Twitter, where you, I can't see you. Um, We are joined by the lovely Michelle Collins today. And I like to think of this as how fast the podcasting game moves. We were just on Midnight Snack and we were like, we got to get you on. And it happened like that. Nothing has ever felt more natural to me than to talk to the two of you, like in my life. Like this is my steady state. Uh, you did just do the podcast and everyone adores you. All of your fans, it was like the Swifties. They like came out to support and I love to see it. And now look at us. We're here and we're doing it now. I'm on your show, which I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. I hope our fans are like just slightly less homicidal than Swifties, which I, I get a feeling of, you know, pick, you know, think about QAnon. Imagine if they had a little bit more time on their hands. That's what the Swifties are, you know, and like and more attractive, more attractive. I would say better looking. Yeah, yeah. right. To be fair, Taylor does have them like solving clues and mysteries and writing things on their wall to figure out when an album is being released. So that can drive anyone. Listen, my local Michaels is out of red yarn because of this girl. Okay, and you cannot even get yarn. Red yarn is done. I was saying that she has like a trailer come out or whatever it is, and people get their like Ovaltine rings out from a Christmas story to try to solve these riddles. And I'm thinking I don't even do like the jumble in the Miami Herald because by the third one I'm I'm done. I'm like it's too it's out of my pay grade. I can't figure it out. So credit to them for you know. I don't know why they're not solving crimes. Like, put your your knowledge to a better use, I think. But I'm happy for them. I would love it. I also think, like, it, it always is funny to me that the puzzles she sends out are, like, never harder than an anagram. <laughs> like, because it's secretly all for fourth graders, which is always so funny to me. Yeah, and I can't do it. You and, just said that. And and I'm like, yet, yeah, yeah, yeah. And- <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Uh, I mean, she's not the Riddler, Lewis. She's not uh, She's not attacking um, Gotham City. Right. No, she's like light Zodiac Killer. I thought you, know? you said yes. Leona Lewis. Yes. And I was like, wouldn't it be funny if Leona Lewis had jumbles? Like she released a video, but no one solved it. People were just like, we don't know what <laughs> you're trying to. Is it ble- Bleeding Love Part 2? I don't know. What What is it? Oh, Leona. Although I will say... Um, I will. I will say that the one very creepy thing about Taylor lately is um, her TikTok. I don't know if you've seen it. 
but I she's doing like the TikTok trends and it has never been more unnatural. It is actually scarier than Britney's Instagram. Wow, that's... Oh, which does send a shiver every time. So, <laughs> And uh, speaking of our girl, Brittany, the conservatorship has ended. Um, it's over. And um, Lewis is tweeting recklessly. I Okay, I did make a joke that was, shall we say, a little off color. No. I said, wouldn't it be amazing if she joined Scientology today? And... But guys, it's like we do have to I don't want to say we have to keep looking out for her. The the woman's privacy has been duly invaded. But I mean, what do you do when you suddenly have freedom like that? You know, it's kind you know, of frightening. I'm a well known, what do they call them? Squirrel watcher? What do they call the Scientologists who like go after the it's like squirrel busters? They have some weird names. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Is I, that what they're called? I haven't spoken to Leah Remini okay, in a minute. Okay, let's get her on the line because uh, there's, what if I was like one of those? I remember when I lived in LA, I went to a, a medical office that clearly gave um, the go-ahead to Scientologists. Like, they had to go there to get their physical. And I knew this because mm. they were all reading L. Ron Hubbard. Like, everybody, I, that's that was how good my insurance was, that I was at the Scientologist medical clinic. Like, I had, that's all I could afford. <laughs> and I went there. And you have never seen, much like a QAnon, I would think, so many different kinds of people. I will give them credit for that, but I think that's very funny. I'm, I'm worried for Brittany a little bit. Are you? A, and I love her. Yeah. I love her. I mean, listen, I mean, the... The jo- jokes aside, which you know, I actually thought it was funny. Uh, we can be uh, we can be a little reckless, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I loved is that some people said it to me were like, "You back on Twitter, Ira?" And I was like, "Come on now, I don't, um, <laughs> I don't write. I never wrote jokes on Twitter. Um, I just made chaos." But I feel like it is a bit like an extreme rumspringa or something. I don't know. Like she has been. She's been Princess Peach. Mm. She's been yeah. held captive for years. Like we we've discussed how traumatic the conservatorship was for her. And now she's just free. Yeah. It's over. Like I don't know the process of being freed from a conservatorship, you know? But uh, I mean, like, in my mind, I'm imagining her life was like, you know, Kristen Stewart and Spencer. Yeah. You know? Really quiet. <laughs> And just like really (laughs) like looking down a lot. Totally. Yeah. People telling you where to go all the time, like not being able to use your phone. Like who's the first person you text? Like, do you reconnect with old celebrity friends? Like, are you it's it's just it's so much unknown to me for like if your life is all of a sudden like now you can do whatever the fuck you want. Well, also the thing with her is like you can never really grade how much she wants to even continue being a pop star, particularly when if you've already done it successfully 15 to 20 times, like singles that slayed and albums that slayed, tours that slayed. It's like, what what more is there? You know, like mm-hmm. I, I, I think of Rihanna sometimes. and I'm like, why would she continue if she is like basically had a flawless? That's run? right. Mm. And the best makeup line. My worry with Britney is yeah. that I, I think I was always like, well, her hot boyfriend or now fiance will protect her or will help take care of her and i didn't even think about this you're right she should have some sort of therapy i mean she needs somebody it's like when brooks got out of prison in shawshank you know you need someone to be like (laughs) this is a car you know this is what we call cars and i'm not trying to mock what she's going through but when you read and i'm sure you read that times profile of her boyfriend i felt Uh more nervous for her than ever by the end of that genuinely i was like oh this is now i'm scared 
Maybe she should just sort out like the jukebox musical of oh, her God. career because we got enough for that. Just like set that up, c- come to the premiere, you know, be like Carol King, you know, mm. show up, like w- wave at the people in the audience, walk on off. She was spotted having a champagne, a glass of champagne at dinner because apparently she wasn't allowed to drink for so many years. And I was happy for her because, yes, she should be allowed champagne. But there was like that little thing in my head. And it's terrible that I even thought this, but I was like. Oh, it starts with a glass. All starts with a glass. You know, one glass. And then she's like, this is so delicious. And I'm like, keep, you know, you just, I'm sure she'll be okay. I hope she is. But I am a little bit mm. like, don't, don't mess it up, mm. you know. Well, I would like her to be roommates, you know, with like a, with like Mariah Carey or something, you know? Mm. Like, 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 you know, a celebrity who is, like a celebrity from her era who, you know, is, off kilter as well larger than life but understands like you know that there's like two different realities that you're constantly walking through um you know like like a mentor of sorts you know it's unfortunately madonna stay away from her uh, yeah, I do have to agree on that front. Mariah, at least we have the stories of her fleeing Tommy Mottola to get fries right. with Debrat or whatever that was. So she should share that story with Britney and then mm. they should film it for like a Liz and Dick type. Uh, oh, and Lindsay's working again. So this is great. This is perfect timing. Yes. Lindsay's back. Uh, oh yeah. my God, that picture of her with Cord Overstreet. First of all, Cord Overstreet, I, I I understand he is a longtime Glee star. Saying the name out loud, it's it's simply three different words that don't belong together. I mean, I just don't know what to tell you about that name. But um, Lindsay Lohan, <laughs> they look like they've been computer generated, put together in the Christmas tree farm or wherever yeah. they're at. And I am worried. I just feel like maybe Lindsay had the moment, and now we should just recede into what the idea of Lindsay was, and maybe not have to watch the acting. But that I don't picture know. was the yassification of Hallmark Lindsay movies. Like she had the, because she was so. <laughs> I really looked at it. She was so airbrushed in it. It looked like Russian hackers got into her phone, you know, and like like one of those face app photos. I was like, that's not the Lindsay that I know. But okay, and Cordy, I couldn't pick Cord over straight out of an Aryan lineup. Like I swear, I know that he's kind of. He's like a little fish face. That's what I know about him. But otherwise, nothing. You weren't a Gleek? <laughs> I was I was a Gleek until like first couple seasons I was. And I knew mm-hmm. I used to, I found a, a karaoke place in L.A. that had the Glee versions of songs and I would only go there. So I, I am a loser, if that's what you're asking. Yes. <laughs> I actually I, do love the Glee versions of the Madonna songs in the Madonna episode. I thought that was all good. well done. I've seen Glee on tour, okay? You know, I, we're, we're all losers. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Lewis for other reasons, but you and yeah, I because right. we'll of We'll get Glee. into those. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, guys. I feel safe. Go on. Uh, well, speaking of what we're getting into this week... Uh, we got some more Taylor conversation because uh, the streets are the the streets have been painted red. Yes, <laughs> and um, everyone Hester Prynne is out, <laughs> and everyone is talking about Jake Gyllenhaal. So I figured, why not us too? Uh, I love talking about Jake Gyllenhaal. This is a good move. I'll talk for about us. him. Yes, uh, we're also going to be joined by Stephen Young. Uh, who is in the lovely new film, The Humans, which is an adaptation of a play of the same name. And so we figured we would also discuss some of our favorite plays and musicals that were adapted Mm. from the stage 
to the screen. You should literally write down your predictions for me and Ira ahead of time and see oh. if they match up. Because I think I think the the true keep it tears will sp- will spot. Them. I didn't know we were including <laughs> plays in this because one of my favorite movies ever was based on a play, but I won't say it yet. Oh, okay. I'm so excited! Well, oh, I, ha- I, 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 I literally you know, know what it is. is. I yeah, literally yeah. Ca- I, 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 watch me. I know guess you're it. gonna know. So, like, why are we playing this game? <laughs> I'm nervous. <laughs> See, we can make bad riddles and games just like Taylor Swift too. That's true, right? But but they involve even more than just uh, unscrambling letters and addition or whatever her big tricks yeah. are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be right back with more keep it. The holidays are almost here and we're dropping new merch in the Crooked store every week of November. Okay, we're doing drops just like we're a store on Fairfax Avenue. (laughs) This week we have festive (laughs) items for our Hysteria holiday ornament, Friend of the Pod Tees, and more. I've never heard of those podcasts. I assume they're wonderful. Shop all the holiday arrivals now at crooked.com slash store. On Friday, Taylor Swift released Red, Taylor's version, okay? Not Annette Benning's version. Right. And in an instant, revived her decades-old drama with her ex, Jake Gyllenhaal. Because as we know, the one thing Taylor hates more than anything is people asking her about the men that her music is about. <laughs> that oh, is please. actually pretty funny. Please don't reduce my music to gossip and the men that have dated, except for when I'm re-releasing this song about Jake Gyllenhaal and making it 10 minutes long. And that's all my fans are going to talk about. Uh, yes, I have to say, so she directed the that video too, the All Too Well 10-minute version. By the way, were we crying out for a 10-minute version? Girl, you're not Led Zeppelin. What is happening? Yeah, it's Honestly, like- I like it. And I am a big fan of 10-minute songs. <laughs> uh, what else is there? It's like that American and like, Pie. Uh, maybe Yo-Yo Ma's like Shostakovich. <laughs> Yellow something. What? <laughs> how many 10-minute? American Pie is a good one. Yeah, how many long songs are there? Uh, Purple Rain. Purple Rain um, is my least favorite Prince song. We've already discussed this. Go ahead. I feel, I feel love. The 12, wow. the 12-inch version. Okay. okay. Uh, but, excuse me. Nothing about this is like the classic era of disco. So you can move right along comparing these Velvet two. Velvet Underground's heroin. Okay. Uh, I actually do love that song. Oh, wow. And I love that album, which you does okay. not fit with my personality. But yes. Taylor Someone Swift has, you know is what? the Nico of... 2021 that is that i could actually see that in a weird way. <laughs> how long is november rain because i love that song that i would listen to for 20 minutes if i could god I, I do miss when music videos were like that like a sweeping shot outside of a church with slash on a guitar oh. yeah like mm-hmm. on a mountain yeah did Fabulous i ever tell you about one time i met slash Ooh. and mm. we were at an open bar and i went this one's on me and he laughed anyway that's the whole story mm. <laughs> Uh, I kill it with every celebrity. What? <laughs> uh, if Lewis met Slash, he'd say, I hate Dirty Diana because he has no taste. Wow. It's the worst Michael Jackson song. It's terrible. The, well. he, excuse me, have you heard the chorus? Dirty Diana. That's it. He's done. We're moving when on to the verse. McCartney song exists. You're calling it the worst Michael Jackson song? <laughs> okay, I exaggerated. The girl is mine sucks. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but so many people have been discussing Jake Gyllenhaal and how this um, 
millionaire is um, clearly shattered and sobbing and was completely destroyed by Taylor Swift. Uh, I thought that, you know, why subject our listeners to another Taylor Swift conversation? Because they know how it's going to go. I enjoyed <laughs> it. Lewis did it, but he respects some stuff about it. So let's just talk about Jake Gyllenhaal in general. Sure. And why, why he is so interesting in the world of pop culture. You know, I don't think it's well, particularly just the Taylor relationship. Like, there, there are so many different aspects of Jake Gyllenhaal as a celebrity that are intriguing and make people sort of addicted to him. But... Also, he's sort of like weird as a celebrity figure. Well, I would I would say he's like a throwback to celebrities of yore, like a 50s, 60s, like a Montgomery Clift or whatever, because you don't know much about him actually. Like mm-hmm. he's he's somebody where secretly there's not much information released about him. Like and it and it kind of feels like you know, because we obviously know he's his sister is Maggie. We know about this Taylor Swift relationship. By the way, which I think even by Taylor's admission was three months long. It was three months so long, was, but yeah. she is a fire sign and there's nothing I appreciate more than um, continuing to drag out a relationship that was only three months long. Still talking about it at brunch. My eyes rolled back in my head and now I'm spitting them out of my mouth. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Are you fighting the Power Rangers, Lewis? <laughs> yeah, right. But anyway, I think he's somebody where... It, there's a familiarity about him. We've obviously known who he is forever, you know, since October Sky, Donnie Darko, etc. But he has maintained a bit of mystery throughout that. And by the way, people forget his mother, an Oscar-nominated oh. screenwriter for Running on Empty, the River Phoenix movie, speaking of great child stars. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he's from a very privileged family, certainly. Went to Harvard Westlake, which yes. if we know that is a very high society, highfalutin school in Los Angeles. Uh, the twist that I don't know if you know is that I went to college with Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh! And yes, what? I know you think me and my Kirkland signature sweatshirt that I'm just a nothing. But no, in fact, <laughs> that I'm just your regular old nothing. But in fact, um, I did. I went to Barnard. He went to Columbia. But I was uh, class of 02. Right. Uh-huh. Skipped a grade. So don't try to readjust my age. Thanks for trying. And um, yeah, he was <laughs> he was in my freshman year class. And everyone knew who he was because he was an actor who, you know, October Sky had come out at that point. He was in his like frog faced era, though, because he only got hot later. Like he he was cute in Donnie Darko, but it's when he beefed up. Like I remember I saw Jarhead. Mm-hmm. And it was like the Pee Wee yep. in the mm-hmm. movie theater situation for me. I was like, what is all that? Like, what is this? That's not who was in my like shapes and symmetry class, you know, at Columbia. But no, he went to Columbia and it was very exciting. Like he was like the buzz on campus was that Jake Gyllenhaal was in our class. And he was very friendly with the guy who was in my um, improvisational comedy group. Did we get that? Don't edit that out. I was in a college improv group <laughs> uh, called Six Milks that had a, a notable alumni include Chelsea Peretti was in it with me and from from my era and mm. some other hilarious people. But um, do you like how this is just an hour of me name dropping people I went to college with? I think it's a great segment. Don't cut it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm very, I'm no, very enraptured. Right? It's very chic. And I, we would just see him around campus. He was like our Phantom of the Opera. We'd call him Flake Hall because we didn't want anyone to know that 
we were talking about him and it was like we would see him and we'd be so <laughs> even then he had a power over the women of Columbia University and he had only been in one film. It was just a lot of <laughs> a lot of stress having him there. And then I interviewed him years later uh, when he was in Seawall Life with Tom Sturridge. I did like an onstage interview with them. And I made a joke about Tom Sturridge because he's so slight. He's very cute. Uh, Sienna Miller's boyfriend, I think, currently, or ex, right? Yep. And Jake and I were having the best time. Afterwards, I was like, you know, we went to school together. We have this mutual friend. We took a picture together, which I was so excited to post. Obviously, here I am, like, Tom, whatever. Jake, you know, we did it. They would not, they refused to send me the photo. And to this day, I don't know if it's because of something with him. I don't think it is. Maybe. Or if Tom was like pissed at me mm. because I was like being funny, like I obviously am. Hello. So he's stealing <laughs> photos and scarves. It makes yes. sense now. We're getting the backstory. He yeah. he probably just has I'm imagining like uh, we don't know much about him. I'm imagining he just has sort of like a room of mementos from every walks wow. of life that he just keeps there, you know, and he just goes and mm -hmm. looks at it like a little museum. You know, Dexter. so you're probably in there. I would buy that Jake Gyllenhaal is a Dexter, that he is secretly a murderer. Um, well, he also, well, he definitely wants to be cast in roles like that. I got a little annoyed with his um, uh, difficult choices as an actor over the past six years. I think mm. he must have gotten sick with playing like kind of brooding leading men because then he eventually picked roles like that Velvet Buzzsaw movie where he, he got oh, to yeah. be quote unquote eccentric, which I don't believe. Mm. And, uh, he did a Sunday in the Park with George, eccentric artist, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I hear he was fine in that, but that to me is not prime Gyllenhaal. Uh, and then he did one other one. Oh, he was on, what was the thing he was on where he, oh, Okja, speaking of Stephen Young. Yes. The hippo yeah. movie. Yes, yeah. right, where he got to be eccentric. Once again, it's like, you know, we do have already weirdos out there. Like Gary Oldman's right over here, et cetera, you know. <laughs> I really enjoy um, the idea of him as a leading man, you know, because I feel like he gives that air of like a hot, mysterious throwback actor, but also he's good too, you know? I don't think mm -hmm. anyone would ever dispute the fact that Jake Gyllenhaal is a very good actor, you know? And I think that he really came to prominence probably just i know that there was always the um donnie darko stands you know and uh Oof. you know uh love that movie you know and bubble boy you know a classic right but um <laughs> i feel like you know he really started to pop with brokeback mountain you For know sure. you know it was because mm. you know like once once the gays were hooked in and you know the cinephiles um because ang lee was directing it um then we had him you know but then he's sort of like did a shift to like yeah you know like these jarheads and whenever he does like like prince of persia or like a southpaw oh, yeah. i'm like mm, what's going on here did you do jarhead just because like after you know you were um fucking um you know a man on screen you were like i gotta remind people that you know i'm a bro I'm okay with that. Is that bad? I'm sorry. I actually, I'm just going to defend him. I don't mind that he just does that. I remember seeing Jar. It really Jarhead was a pivotal uh, two Jake Gyllenhaal movies that um, I remember being in the theater for Jarhead and then Nightcrawler, which I saw oh, at the fabulous. Arc Light, we love that. Mm -hmm. His best performance was great. 
It's brilliant By fucking far. movie. Yeah, mm. the, the the sociopathic motivations of that character were yes. very specific and like well drawn out. I want to say about Brokeback Mountain. What was weird about that to me was uh, he was overshadowed because people just also agreed in that moment that Heath Ledger was our second coming. And mm-hmm. though Jake Gyllenhaal did, did get the nomination and also so did Michelle Williams, I feel like that was the moment when uh, Heath Ledger just became kind of like our James Dean or something. Like mm-hmm. just the somebody who really embodied angst in a in a particularly you know representative way you know the you know uh, uh, j- uh joker if you will um but jake i really thought in that movie was the emotional core like he like mm-hmm. that movie to me is very expressively emotional i know that Heath ledger's character is repressed but like so many beautifully articulated sentiments in that movie because of jake gyllenhaal's character and i think that's really the thing that sticks with me about that movie is how vulnerable seeming a performance it was how sad a performance it was and it was overshadowed you know and i by um heath and you know i think you know that's why jake did it um took took care of heath if you know what i mean no i mean you know not to go back into the zodiac of it all i mean the actual oh, zodiac, another movie. Not, zodiac. Not, the, not the movie oh. The actual the zodiac sign that he is, even though I fucking love Zodiac as well. Oh. Um, he is just like Taylor Swift, a Sagittarius. So I find oh. a lot of their energy is very um chaotic behind the eyes, you know? <laughs> and so I find that like I think that he loves, you know, this like being discussed like this with like the red and the music oh. and everything. Like people making the jokes about him, like his life being destroyed, him being sad, like he can't walk down the street. I feel like he loves it. I feel like he listened to the 10 minute song on loop. Well, also in that video, Taylor seems to concur with what you say. Like she, that character is yelling at the Jake Gyllenhaal character for, uh, taking all the attention, not paying attention to her, like uh, fascinating all of his friends and basically being the star of the room. So that actually does have some journalistic integrity, your statement that if we can, if we can, if we can believe Taylor as a reliable narrator, which God fucking help you. Mm -hmm. Well, I just feel like Ira, I hear you, but I also have to imagine it is some secondhand embarrassment. Like if some guy from 10 years ago that I went out with came out with a song, I mean, obviously it's a re-release, but even still having to relive the cringe factor of 10 years ago again, and now it's like twice as long and all these new fans. I don't know. I I actually think it's quite Mm. chuggy, maybe is the word I'm looking for. It's just a little bit like, mm, Mm. it's not chic. And I believe that he's an intellectual and I think it feels beneath him, if I'm going to be honest. Mm. I don't think he's an intellectual, I will say. Uh, I think I think, that I think, he can, I think he's smart enough. I think he's smart, but I think he can play the part of intellectual. But I actually think, you know, like, I think that he is more driven by emotion than I think that he is by intellect. And I think that's why he's sort of an actor who sort of does this thing where he's always like, I don't like to talk about my personal life, you know, like he did recently mm. uh, when asked uh, about the Taylor Swift of it all in a Guardian interview. Um, but I, I don't know. I think he sees himself as is. playing the part of a broody intellectual. But I think when you see him like hanging out with like Tom Holland at like the press junkets and stuff for Spider-Man Far From Home, like I think that's who he is. I think he's just sort of like a s- sweet sort of very weird bro who's sort of like 
my persona is Jake Gyllenhaal and I'm brooding. And I think it actually came from all the press and everything surrounding Brokeback Mountain. I think it shifted him into that kind of actor. I was going to make the argument, and I can say this as a Jewish woman, that he, there are two kinds of Jewish families growing up. You either come from an NPR Jewish family or a non-NPR Jewish family. <laughs> I grew up in a non-NPR Jewish family. We, we listened to classical music and we were very cultured, but we didn't subscribe to The New Yorker. We were a New York Times family and we did not listen to NPR. Ira Glass, who's that? No idea. Jake, big New Yorker energy, big tote bag mom. I can see the NPR blasting in their Volvo. I don't know how <laughs> else to put it, but there is that. And I think Lewis gets what I'm saying. Hopefully someone does that. There is that kind of a snooty energy to their, that LA, the Harvard Westlake, honestly, is what tells me that. Like there's just this sort of snootiness that I could see him believing in himself in that way. This interview, no wait, this interview we're talking about is snooty. I mean, the energy coming off it is just like, like pretending, not only saying I don't talk about my personal life, but pretending to be completely bewildered by people asking questions, right. even remotely oh. pertaining to that. It's like, no, you are making that up. You, you yourself are a human being who is also interested in other human beings. So stop pretending like it's a completely alien idea that people would have even a basic question regarding a gigantic phenomenon like Taylor Swift. Well, you know, I think it's very interesting that, you know, he was a producer of Slave Play, and I remember... His this interview he did with British GQ where he discussed like how much he loves like Jeremy O'Harris and like Harry Styles and he wishes he were you know a bit more daring in his fashion and you know how much he likes like British older like elegance and style and like discusses fragrances and you know I like Ooh. I don't know that's just kind of the person he seems like to be I feel like he really wants mm. to play the part of a flat i think he would really prefer to be like one of those flashy or like sort of like a harry styles like a jeremy o'harris but he has sort of decided that like he needs to be more reserved if that makes All sense right. he's just a, yes. he's a gray man and doesn't want to be he, he'll he leave the uh the flash to his acting gray man <laughs> is a term i'm stealing from my friend uh dan zach from the washington post like how he just sits in a room and like observes what's going on and you might not even notice he's there like it's it's like reporter speak anyway mm -hmm. oh i like that yeah. uh, but to close this out i would like to say that like i really do think that like everything we sort of think about taylor is a lot of what is in jake's personality i want to leave you with this quote from the gq interview fragrance is everything to me i can't be without it in the same way items of clothing and jewelry can it immediately connects me to experiences that i've had whether joyful or terrible i'm also nose forward you know so i get a sense of personality i get a sense of what someone's like I especially think you know what type of person someone is if they spray loads of scent on nose forward <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start saying that about myself. If I take anything away from this podcast, it's I'm also nose forward. Like, yeah, I also like I'm I sniff. I sniff. It's, I mean, let's think of where the nose is on the face. I, I want to say this is a common human experience, but okay. we all know yeah, those yeah, people, yeah. right? We all know those kind of people who I imagine you're wit you're like at a restaurant or like at a party and you're talking to someone and Jake's sort of near you and not in the convo. He is definitely the person who leans over and he's like, what are you wearing? Yeah. Oh, oh. And like finds that way into just sort of like having a conversation with you that he wanted to have, but like he's, he's obsessed with like that 
We all know those like people. That. The fragrance person. Wait, cut to yeah. Ira at a restaurant while Jake Gyllenhaal is there wearing his like favorite three colognes or whatever. Listen, <laughs> if if Jake Gyllenhaal manages to see me wearing Maison Margiela Jazz Club that Ooh. I have pritz, spritzed it on heavily because I know that he's going to be at the restaurant, well, then so be it, Lewis. Oh. What does that smell like? Cigarettes? <laughs> the Jazz Club. It is sort of like a musk, like woody sort of like fragrance mm. that also feels like, you know, like cigarette and smoky. It is, it's great. Okay. Uh, I love thank that. you so much, Etta James. All right. <laughs> I love Are we moving on at last? I started saying, you're like, don't. I love a smoky fragrance on my neck. (laughs) 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 All right. When we're back, we're joined by an actor who was in a film with Jake Gyllenhaal, Stephen Young. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Our guest today has had quite the career. A Second City alum who rose to prominence on The Walking Dead, he is the first Asian American to be nominated for the Academy Award for Outstanding Lead Actor, and he's currently starring in the upcoming adaptation of The Humans. Please welcome Stephen Young. Hi, y'all. Thank you. Hi. Thank you for that nice intro. That's very kind. You know, we like to be very nice to the guests just to get them ready, you yeah. know, before we ask them awful questions. <laughs> yeah, before the harassment begins. Yeah. I have a <laughs> yeah. I have old QAnon chapter. I'm so <laughs> Steven, I'm actually gonna start out with an extremely dorky question, which is in realizing like in 
I've now watched you in a hundred things, and it occurs to me that I had no grasp on what your actual personality is from watching you in all this stuff, because what you do is all so different. Like, The Walking Dead does not remind me of Burning, which does not remind me of Minari. And I'm wondering, what role you've played is actually the most like you? Because I think whatever you say will surprise me. Um, I think maybe the real answer is I'm void of personal personality. Like, I have no... Got it. Oh. Hot, hot, okay. Uh, for my wife and my children. Um, uh, who is closest? You know, honestly, I, I, I've been trying to unpack uh, what this work is on a personal level for me. And sometimes I wonder if all the characters are just me. And um, uh, I'm really just trying to live a truth in whatever imaginary circumstances are happening. But um, yeah, uh, I guess you could argue that like there's, I, I am every one of those characters or sections of those characters exist within me as well. Otherwise, I don't know how- So I you're really like your character in The Burning. You, you've just been um, murdering women. I mean, I could certainly get there. You know, in preparation for Burning, I was reading like a lot of nihilist stuff and like- just, you know, the, the immersion of burning was really insane because I was like literally in a, uh, a suite of Namsan at, at the Grand Hyatt in Namsan Tower in Korea, which is like super bougie. And I was living there for months and, uh, you know, I would go downstairs to the breakfast buffet and then like dip into the to the sauna bath every morning. And I was like, this is insane that I get to live this life of this guy and uh i think if you do that enough you turn into into ben perhaps <laughs> while you're reading nietzsche uh it, it helps i just want to say about that movie it it lingers on me and it's a movie where you walk out of the theater and you're like okay everybody everybody was disturbed <laughs> I, I, like i didn't know it was gonna go that deep i walked out with my friend gus i was like woof are, are we the same after that i hope you feel good about that because something's not right with that's me cool i thank you for saying that i mean i think that that's the highest compliment that like the film and all the people involved put out that feeling and affected people you know when i look back at it i just think of the biggest theme for me in that in that film is is deep deep loneliness and um yeah. i think that's just true right that's mm -hmm. just true um i don't know if i could say what specifically it's true for it just feels like true overall it's lonely well, I feel like that's a theme, you know, in like a lot of your works. I mean, like for one, I mean, one that's the hugest theme in like The Walking Dead. It's mm. like you're the last people on Earth. Mm. And then, of course, The Humans, um, Stephen Karam's play, which um, he adapted for um, film and then also directed. Uh, you know, it's about um, for our audience, it's about three generations of a family gathering uh, at one of the daughters and her boyfriend's new apartment uh, in Chinatown. And uh, it's just uh, it really sort of tugs at um, that feeling that I feel like humans have when it's like you're growing old or it's like you're disconnected from your parents or you're disconnected from the world as it's moving past you. And there's like a lot of loneliness i yeah. feel like in this film yeah um what was it like working with the playwright um uh, adapting his own work and then also directing it um because on broadway um it was um, joe montello 
who did it. Right. Um, and now mm-hmm. it's obviously he must have been coming in with, um, now this is how I've always wanted to do it. Or was it like that? Um, you know, I think Stephen uh, Karam is, is someone that, you know, I think we're going to be seeing some incredible work from Stephen as he's already done, but I can't wait to see his future projects. He's a, he looks at the world in a very honest way, in a true way. Uh, when you read his scripts, the ways in which his dialogue flows and how it's like every, every bit of dialogue that you see in the film is purposeful. Like he's literally written it for people to come in at certain times, like overlap each other at certain times. It's very specific. And, um, and while it's that specific, it's, it's not like as an actor, like really um, imprisoning. You're not like, oh, I have to deliver these words exactly the way that it's written. It, in some ways, it's so true that it just flows naturally from you. And, you know, you read that script and you're like, wow, like I already, there's no like blatant exposition tied into anyone's dialogue. It just is a picture of a real Thanksgiving dinner with like steaks. And um, the other thing that I think he really realizes um, when you read the script too, is like, everyone's living their own reality. You know, everyone's caught in their own minds and their own projections of how they see the world and their own traumas and their own thoughts about experiences or their own expectations of each other. And um, that's probably why Thanksgiving sometimes sucks. Uh, cause you're just like duking it out with people that are like, you're vulnerable with because you're tight with them, but they're like imposing on you who they think you're supposed to be. And you're trying to fight back against that. And then you're also imposing on others, what you think they're supposed to be. And, and, and I think that's to me where like this loneliness that, you know, I don't, I don't even want to say, I, I want, I, I said loneliness for burning. Cause like, I think all three of those characters are lonely, but I think maybe the better word that we're talking about on a larger level is like just isolation. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not like seeking isolation in the work that I'm looking for, but, but like, I think it's just what we're living and it just seems true that we are all isolated. It doesn't mean that's a necessarily a bad thing. I think that's a, that could be a very beautiful thing if we admit it to ourselves. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that, that seems to be, the vibe of the humans for me too. The humans, I will say, I watched it last night. Uh, I was thinking this is a brilliant movie to make during COVID because it was only, what, six of you basically uh, in a room with very low lighting, my ideal lighting um, for the record, very low. Every scene I'm like, oh, blessing. It's like so low. But then when I looked it up, I saw that you guys actually started filming before COVID. Isn't that right? Yeah. Which is just, yeah. you know, what I, a shame because it would have been perfect to make after the pandemic. Yeah, the right, yeah, right. Like just the production of it. Yeah. I, I mean, it was, it was um, the experience though, I will say like it didn't, it didn't feel that different from what COVID felt like in that sense. Like, you know, uh, the production designers created an incredible recreation of a Chinatown apartment, like down to the walls and the piping and then like the water stains and like, it was meticulously designed. And then it was designed in a way where you could remove walls so we could sneak certain shots that you wouldn't have been able to do if we shot on a real location. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we were there for a month in a soundstage, wow. just in the same house, all, all of us every day. And um, in that way, we were simulating 
in some eerie way what was to come yeah um yeah it's been bizarre because i also shot minari two weeks before that movie so i went to shoot oh, really? minari and then i did two weeks of rest and then i came to shoot this movie wow. and um you know the the weird like just from my point of view i don't know if anybody else would think this but like from my point of view like the weird like like just it, it felt like it was those experiences were like a harbinger of what was to come in some weird twisted way i remember um when we were showing minari at sundance that same morning kobe died oh my god and um it cast this like mood like it just cast this like really existential mood over the whole day going into something like minari where like the stakes became higher because everybody felt so mortal um and there were also whispers of covid at sundance we're like i'm hearing this thing that's like coming mm -hmm. out like what is this and like isaac's dad actually who is a herbalist he was like this one looks bad and he was like this one looks like spanish flu and like that kind of thing was like in the back of your mind while you're like showing this film and um, then you come home and then the world shuts down. And that was, you know, uh, these two films, uh, but humans too, like to have it on the other side of COVID is a real trip for me. So it's real weird talking about it in general. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's something about um, movies with small casts that I'm just interested in the dynamic, particularly like when that book about Mike Nichols came out recently, I, I needed to know specifically about who's afraid of Virginia mm -hmm. Woolf because of like all for everybody in the movie is responsible for so much. Yeah. And it's so it feels like a very intense experience. Is it the kind of environment you prefer a small cast? Um, I mean, I, I, I guess I don't I, I wouldn't really have any way to compare at the moment. I will say like, there is a beauty to a true ensemble piece, you know, um, when everybody's responsible for their section and they bring it and they, you see how the musicality of it kind of just like flows off of each other. Um, you know, shooting this film, it was easy, you know, it was difficult in the preparation, but like it was easy on the execution because you just believe everybody and it's Richard Jenkins. It's Jane Howdeshell. It's June Squibb, Amy Schumer, Beanie Feldstein. Like no one's a slouch. Like they're coming to tell the truth. And so there's just this, like, you know, Steven always talks about how he's nuts. Cause he shot a nine minute sequence over and over and over again. And was like, yep, that's what we're going to use. Just straight nine minutes, one -er. And like, it was the scene of the, the pig smashing into the dinner and, um, you know, he asked us a couple of times, like, how difficult was it to, like, get the perfect take every or do it well every time? And I was like, in my head, I'm like, it wasn't that difficult because you're just like, I know you're going to say something true and then I have to say something true. And then you're just simulating reality in that way. So, um, yeah, it was a very immersive, immersive time. That was really great. Mm -hmm. So it was, yeah, yeah, all of those small ensemble things tend to be that way. We should reiterate that the pig smashing sequence revol uh, revolves around a yes. ceramic pig. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Family yeah, yeah. hits hits uh, with a small mallet as pig. part of as part of a yeah yeah peppermint, peppermint pig. pig as part of a um a holiday tradition. So it's it wasn't like just a black mirror pig oh, smashing no, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Short style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> then they all eat the peppermint pig. It's yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> that was a little sexual. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. For me. Excellent. Uh, Steven, uh, what's so interesting to me about your career is that, you know, you had um, this mega hit on the sci-fi show, Walking Dead, and then you're thrust into, you know, um, being a Oscar nom now, you know? Uh, and you started out in Second City, uh, and, you know, I remember um, the series um, Weird City, too, mm. you know, um, that you did with Jordan Peele, and um, did you think that you were going to just do comedy for the majority <laughs> of your career and then were you just like shocked when your career like shifted into so i guess i'm not doing comedy for a while right um you know that's a i feel like that's a large answer that's going to be a large answer because there's a lot going on there i think for me coming from the stage and doing comedy where i felt like i could be anyone and participate as anyone and so like I didn't always have to be under the joke. I could be over the joke. You know, I could be of the joke as opposed to be put upon. Like there was just so many levels I could play with in live theater. Second city was just a blast. Like there's status changes and all these things. But then when you get into film and TV, it gets really specific. And, um, you know, what was available to me on a comedic level in Hollywood was always like, kind of like a subservient lower status role uh, that was there to like generate laughs or like be put upon or whatever it was. And like, those are cool roles too. Like those aren't bad roles, but um, as I kept kind of like auditioning and seeing like that, that's what was being asked of me. The minute I got a detour that said like, Hey, by the way, you can also play this dramatic, like full character. Do you want to do that? I was like, yes, I'd rather be a full person than like a punchline constantly. And so it wasn't me like actively avoiding comedy or having a strong pivot. It was really just like, where are the roles that interest me um, that make me feel a little bit more free? Uh, and mm. um, I find myself oddly in this position now. And so, um, yeah, but then, but then, around, but then again, I'll also turn around and do like the sketch, like a Tim Robinson sketch where like, you know, uh, mm. you know, it's about mm. poop and, um, <laughs> that's great that's too. Like I'm not precious. It's just, um, <laughs> you know, well, well, the first two, you know, the first two big auditions I ever had that, you know, I felt like potentially were life-changing was, uh, this ABC pilot that I auditioned for and went to test at the very end. It was down to me and another guy and I didn't get it. And it was to play like a plucky assistant. And right next to that was Glenn on Walking Dead. And, you know, I could have gone a very different way. I could have, I could have, you know, the other thing about Walking Dead that's so amazing is like, you know, if I want a plucky assistant, I'm existing as kind of like an Asian American actor in an under, in, in a, in a current societal understanding of where an Asian person can fit in the dynamic of this story in a modern sense, which is always limited, or I was going to play Glenn or I got to play Glenn who exists in a post-apocalypse where like society doesn't exist. And so there's just no rules. And so I got to simulate through work, like a borderless 
role. Like it was it, the only borders were like who he is as a human being. And um, that's what I'm very thankful for that. I wasn't like honing my skills at being great at being plucky assistant for like a decade. Now that you're somewhat, I guess, not freshly off it, it's been a year now. Do you have any particular favorite moments from the run up to the Oscars when you were nominated? Because it really is like a, an entire section of somebody's life. It's like, you know, <laughs> like like the, the formal campaigning is like, you know, five months or something. Yeah. But then there's even build up to that and like recognizing, you know, all right, you did get nominated. So now you have to go twice right. as hard, et cetera. So did you have any particularly awesome moments during that time? Um, I, you know, I'll be honest with you. Um uh, where I feel very fortunate is I don't think I got to participate in a very traditional Oscar experience, which I think I'm okay with, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> to go through that Oscars experience juxtaposed to like the stark reality of the pandemic was highly sobering. Um, it, mm. it, it kind of um, put so many things into perspective. It really helped in me probably not like getting lost in the sauce of it all. Um, yeah. you know, I had my own kids, I had my family, my wife, we were we, like, how am I going to like pretend that I'm chilling at, at, at a, like an Oscars like interview when like right next to me is the woman that like knows me every day and like knows that I'm not chill like that. Like I can't lie. I have to, I have to face her. You know what I mean? And so like, it made me, be honest, you know, like it made me be honest, just, um, I, yeah. And then, you know, some gnarly things happened, uh, for a lot of people and then also within our family. And so, uh, yeah, like it, it, uh, I don't, I, I can't say I'm thankful for what has happened. Um, but it, but I will say like, it, it, it was very strange to go through something of a spectacle like that while also knowing that like reality was flattened to like true mortality. It's nice to have an actor on where I'm positive. I will just keep being a fan. Like you yeah. just keep killing it. Like you're He's fabulous. Nice. To I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. really, I'm going to buy, I'm going to biff one hard. I've already, I'm biffing it now. I'm biffing a bunch of stuff now. So don't worry. <laughs> uh, thanks. I appreciate the support though. You could biff a lot of things by just spoiling the new Jordan Peele movie for us. If you oh yeah. No, oh, I yeah. can't biff that one. That's, that's, that's me being hung outside like a, like uh, I'll be sleeping with the fishes or something with that one. Uh, I mean, but yes, confident that we will continue to love you. And I mean, I truly cannot wait to see you on screen with Kiki Palmer. Thanks, um, oh, she's the best. goddess of the screen. So I appreciate yeah. that. Ready thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. All. Thank you. Nice to meet you guys. Vacations are always good. Sometimes they're even great. And Celebrity Cruises is about to ruin all of that. Because once you explore with us, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And with new Quick Caribbean Escapes, you'll never want a weekend any other way either. Celebrity Cruises. Nothing comes close. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador. From standouts like Cabaret to, well, 
whatever that Sweeney Todd film was. Mm. Adaptations of staged musicals and plays traverse the highs and lows of quality. After watching The Humans, the latest adaptation from stage to screen, for today's episode, we decided to take a look at some of our other favorite film adaptations of plays and musicals throughout the years. Michelle. Yes. Do you want to start off with some of your favorites? But also, I want to see if Lewis guessed what your favorite play to film is well so i only prepared musicals uh i did not know we were doing plays but i have one and i know lewis knows it because we're twitter we're friends it's got to be amadeus oh no it isn't but god that's a good one god i didn't even you know uh, why amadeus uh that famous (laughs) italian film amadeus (laughs) (laughs) or as lady gaga would say amadeus i can't do it right amadeus It's time to take out the trash. I love um, Amadeus is my favorite movie, actually. So I forgot that it was a play. That's how much I love it. That's what a fan I am. No, I was going to say Six Degrees of Separation. Oh, we we, we were actually just talking about it because of Will Smith's um, admission that he fell in love with Stockard Channing while making it. I mean, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Yeah, right. Speaking Uh, my language, finally, Will Smith. Well, whoever drew her photo in um, Greece was not in love with Stockard Channing. I am so glad the internet has called that out because the drawing of Stockard Channing in Greece is so shockingly awful. I cannot, I cannot. The opening credits, Michelle. She has a fucking snout. It is horrible. (laughs) Is she going nose forward? I I that might be out of order. Stockard Channing Greece picture. Uh, yeah, uh, illustration. Cartoon. Okay, wait, it's here. No, that is actually the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. This looks like a Coney Island caricaturist sat her down and was like, don't move. I'm begging you. That's really horrendous. No, I'm going to do why I thought of Six Degrees is because when you're watching it, much like the humans, it feels like a play still. Right. You know, it still feels like you're watching a stage show, whereas Amadeus is like a big, you know, massive, oh, the best. Musicals wise, um, Les Mis is my favorite musical. I think the movie is, and I actually don't talk, I don't pretend it doesn't exist. It was so bad yeah. to me. But I am basic as shit. First movie musical I ever watched uh, was Guys and Dolls, which mm. I was 10 mm. years old. I was in Israel with my family and they didn't know I was 10. They were like, what can we have Michelle do to keep her busy while people speak Hebrew? Put on Guys and Dolls. And I <laughs> fell in love with that movie. I mean, I know every word to it, obviously. I auditioned for musical theater high school singing Sit Down, You're Rockin' the Boat. And Ira didn't get in. Can you believe? I mean, still to this <laughs> day. <laughs> still to this you know, day. You mm. know, I mean, please. My my friends have heard me just at random times go into the average unmarried female. Oh. I Basically, love guys and dolls. Basically, shows a neurotic tendency. C-note. You know, I also C-note. have a great thing of it. <laughs> tendency, C-note. Oh, C-note. I mean, I know every word. Peter, and also, oh, uh, the Nathan Lane Peter Gallagher CD. One of the first CDs yes. I ever got. It Best. is it it well, when I discovered that in high school, it became my religion. I love that. And I've also um do you know do you know Robert Guillaume who played Benson? Uh, don't mm, come of on. Course. Of course. Yes. There there is a Motown version <gasps> of Guys and Dolls. There was a show in there was a production in the 70s. It's now on streaming, so you can listen to it. Um, go and listen to it. It's a Motown, oh. like jazzy version of Guys and Dolls, and it is also fucking fantastic. Wait a minute, I love you're that changing my whole life because literally, I am. I've never been more excited. 
the second this is over, I'm going to listen to it. I can't wait. <laughs> anyway, love a guys and dolls. And I don't want to steal any of your picks. So feel free to cut me off. But I will also just add that um, I'd never seen Dream Girls on stage. I knew nothing about it. And when I worked at MTV, they said to us one day, do you want to go to the Ziegfeld at like 2 p.m. to see Dream Girls like on your work day? I was like, yeah. And I went to the Ziegfeld. It was a screening for the family of the crew of the Dream Girls crew. And I went by myself and I swear it's one of the most formative movie experiences of my life. It was that movie spoke to my skeleton. I can't even explain to you like how much I loved Dream Girls and I still love it and will always watch it on United when it is available, which it always is. I just, yeah. Same. Um, it's always on Delta. I love, love Dream Girls and the stage play. The stage play is interesting. It's, it's good. Um, but you know, there, there are different highs and lows yes. in the film than there are in a stage play. I will say that like as big as, and I'm telling you is when I've seen the stage play, oh. um, I am changing gets just as big, if not even oh. a bigger standing ovation. Cause I feel like it's even sort of a harder song to make iconic. Oh. I saw Amber Riley do a it dream. Uh, in London and it you was saw it at the Savoy in London. Fucking amazing. So uh, because I yes, also thought Amber was not in it, <laughs> but something about my seat made me so seasick. Like, did you mm. remember the seats? It was very weird. Like, you couldn't see anyone sitting around you. You could only see the stage. Weird. <laughs> Lewis, what are yours? Okay, well, musicals, I feel like I've discussed this on the show. Actually, I've discussed probably my plays, too. It'll be fun to revisit. Um, Cabaret, I think, is still my number one favorite musical, just because, by the way, I'm not somebody who seeks out darkness in a musical like i love the like sophisticated ease of a uh you know a good morning from uh singing in the rain or you know anything with sid charisse or uh etc but cabaret there's just something about the juxtaposition of liza minnelli as desperate young star who has a real you know legendary vivacious quality and the grimness of the setting with which it's in like liza never got dark quote-unquote ever again and i do remember she was in that movie rent a cop with um oh sylvester stallone but that's dark in a different way um so i just love that pairing we never got like every other role she's ever had is kind of like jovial or you know playing on the traditional qualities of a musical star and uh and she, by the way liza also underrated in arthur very funny in that movie um so I want to say Cabaret is a musical. Victor Victoria, I also love. Uh, as I'm obsessed with Leslie Ann Warren, who most people know as uh, Miss Scarlet and Clue. She has a, a song called Chicago, Illinois, about all the thrills of Chicago in the 20s. And one of the big lines is, we'll have an airport soon, which, uh, <laughs> LOL. Come on, Leslie Brickus lyrics, who just passed also, away. Legend. Also underrated Scorsese film, New York, New York. Oh, yes. In, in which Her and De Niro. That's also the... Um, the one year where Mary Kay Place was in absolutely everything. Just like if you were making a movie, Mary Kay Place had to be ninth build. Just be aware of that. Um, but plays, uh, which I'm a little bit more interested in, uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is still my favorite of all time because it does the thing Michelle was just talking about, which is you are very aware it's a play, but it intensifies the thing about it that makes it a play, which is every monologue, we're zooming in on the person. Mm -hmm. Like hardcore shots of like, co like confrontational camera angles and... Uh, like tears that are larger than the entire screen, like the the scene where Richard Burton has a weird um, big dog moment with Sandy Dennis outside where she's like basically on the ground cowering and he suddenly is this very wounded uh, academic, like ruining her life for the sport of it. Just everything about that movie 
holds up so well. And it lost Best Picture to another play adaptation that I think fucking sucks, A Man for All Seasons. Uh. I do not care about a Catholic nice man. It, it, uh, <laughs> I do not care about one guy doing the right thing. I don't care. Wow. Yeah, yeah A Man for All Seasons kind of sucks uh and i think that you know um beautiful robert shaw though in it too i do love him yeah you know you, i prefer arthur miller you know where it's a catholic a nice catholic man who you find out is actually an asshole and has killed people that's right selling bad plane parts <laughs> uh, you guys are so educated can i just say i could listen to you all day i'm like oh they know everything Really Speaking amazing. of uh, Arthur Arthur Miller, though, I recently watched The Crucible, which I hadn't seen in ages because I went for the Joan Allen quotient. But it's so weird to see Daniel Day Lewis in a movie where he gives a B performance. Wow. Like you, you assume mm. he's just constantly A plus all the time. But also, I watched The Age of Innocence recently. It's Ooh. a book adaptation. Another B plus, though he is stunning. Oh. He's got to be like top five of all time. Beautiful oh, man. I love him. As a Tennessee Williams fan, right? We know how much I love uh, that faggot. Ten. Um, yes. His plays. Except for Streetcar, which I do love. And I think that Streetcar, um, I really like the ending uh, a bit mm. more, you know, uh, in the film. Streetcar is probably maybe the only Tennessee Williams play that is, like, adapted well. I would say Cat on a Hot Tin they're Roof, so, shockingly so boring, bad. even though all Sweet Bird of Youth Sweet Bird is, Youth like, sucks. waste Paul Newman. You're telling me Ed Begley won an Oscar for that? Absolutely the fuck not. Unacceptable. <laughs> With Omar Sharif the same year in uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Let's get... Come on. Come on, history. But I was going to say about... Yeah, Suddenly Last Summer, it's a movie about someone telling some, somebody else about a horrible incident. You're not even in the horrible yes. incident. It's, and it, that, that's that's theater. That is that sort of sort of like what a what act play does. You know, it's like someone describing something, and you're in it, and you're feeling in the monologue. But like, truly, nothing happens in suddenly last summer. It gets yeah, truly just I'm telling a story, and then once you get to those flashbacks too, and it's Bad. it's also sort of like we're really racist, and it's it's creepy, and that's the one where I'm just sort of like, you know what the the whole like thing of like um we couldn't his the adaptations of Tennessee Williams are really sort of um in the theater you could be a bit more explicit with the fact that there were like homosexual undertones in his plays you know mm-hmm. um they're really sort of even more overtone the subtext was rapidly becoming the text in his plays mm-hmm. but when you translate that to film you have the film code and so you can't really do everything that was happening on stage so I feel like you watch that movie and you're like is he supposed to be gay what's right. going on here. Is he a cannibal? I don't know. Uh, it's very weird. Um, but I will also say that um, Sondheim films. What? Leave leave his musicals alone, baby. I guess we just can't do we it. We are not making. We are not making good. I have yet to see a good Sondheim adaptation. When you watch Into the Woods, the the Meryl Streep version, it makes you feel like they're missing an act or something. It ends abruptly. And you're like, how can this be one of the most legendary musical experiences? You're, you're, and uh, in fact, the, what it's doing, like the twisted fairy tale thing, you're like, but it's not even that interesting of twists. It's the, some X factor really is lost from stage to screen with Sondheim. I can't really explain it. I tried to watch it again when I had COVID this year and I lying on my deathbed, I couldn't even get past 10 minutes. Wow. I was like, this might actually kill me. <laughs> Once James Corden popped up, I said, enough is enough. Right. <laughs> it's funny. I'm not a Sondheim 
fan, which is probably the most controversial thing about me. Like I just, I've seen things. It's just not for me. However, I love the Dick Tracy soundtrack. Now I wouldn't call that movie a musical necessarily, but that Dick mm. Tracy soundtrack with Mandy Patinkin still listen mm. to it almost on a weekly basis. I just had he to get that He did needed to be done. Yeah. I would love to see Dick Tracy on stage. Definitely. I don't know why they haven't done it. I mean, and the music is phenomenal. It would be so beautiful. It'd be funny. I don't know. Madonna's songs are so good. Uniformly. Oh. I, I love the I'm Breathless um, it's album. My own, The only Madonna album I like. Go on. I will say about her... I mean, I I hate this cliche that's taken over Twitter, but like she very much quote unquote understood the assignment. Yeah. Like the character she's playing is like just um, sassy enough, like just um, cartoonish enough. Whereas I feel Warren Beatty gives a terrible performance. He's horrible in, in it, ruins it. Yeah, and also the movie is too ugly. I will say that it's too green, yellow, blue. I can't. I know they're mm. like replicating the newspaper copy, but it's too ugly. Yeah, I I don't disagree, mm. but that soundtrack. Yeah. Okay. Totally. Uh, I will say. Lastly, one of my fucking favorite play plays um, to film is is Closer. Ooh, Don't yes. love the movie. Don't I love liked the movie. It. I love Julia in it. I love that film. I like so, I mean, Clive Owen. Come on, he's gorgeous. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. Cl- Clive Clive Owen is a man. Yeah. Let me tell you and something. I, I miss him. Where is he? He's in impeachment. He plays Bill Clinton. Oh, are you not watching it? Oh, if you thought you liked, (laughs) listen, and I'm like actually quite anti Bill Clinton, but if you thought you liked Clive Owen before, put that schnoz Mm. on him, nose forward in that wig, and then with that voice and watch him in impeachment because literally I was like, Bill Clinton is such an asshole. And meanwhile, my pants are around my ankles. Just know that. (laughs) I would like, seriously, I would like Clive Owen to touch me with a cigar. So, good, all over, all over. (laughs) Truly. Uh, He is proof, like, like, I, I have a large nose myself. Don't alter your large noses, man, because it's so it's, it's, it's so like it's so massive. I agree completely. Yeah. A hundred percent with you. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And then I will say that the one of the worst plays I've ever seen and had to work on in Chicago uh, became an even worse film. Yeah. And it is Rebecca Gilman spinning into butter. Um, oh, with uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. Sarah, yeah. Sarah Jessica Parker. I don't know if any of you remember the plot to this or heard about it, but Spinning Into Butter is uh, a play about a, and it was also named one of the best plays of 99 by time. It's like basically like was one of the third most produced plays in America uh, in like the early 2000s. But it is set at like a liberal arts white school. Um, and... She plays a dean of students, and there is a black student on campus who has, like, a racist attack against him. You know, like, he's getting hateful, racist notes, uh, and then, like, like a brick was thrown, like, through his wall- window or something. And then the twist of the play, sorry, spoiler alert, is that he did it himself. <gasps> Great. And it's all about, it's, like, all these white people spinning into butter uh. or whatever because of, like, they're whipped up talking about racism going back and forth, and it turns out, like, oh, it wasn't even true. And I was like, who the fuck gave you the right? Yeah, woof, shameful. <laughs> that is really pathetic. Yeah. And I remember when she came back for this talk back for um, the play in Chicago, because I was um, an assistant stage manager on a production of it. Uh, I was just sort of like, she sounds dumb as hell. And I, re- I really think that she is just like one of the worst 
playwrights that I've ever had to yeah. experience the work of. She wrote this other awful play, um, Boy Gets Girl, um, which is about a woman who like goes on a blind date with a guy uh, and then he starts stalking her. And it's about, you know, like um, stalking and um, like losing everything. And she changes her name and moves out of New York. And it's just like hot topics oh <laughs> that she's trying to write into plays. And they're awful. Before we wrap up, I just want to say an adaptation I just thought of that I had totally forgotten about, written by uh, Peter Schaefer of Amadeus' brother, Anthony, is Sleuth with Laurence Olivier and Michael Caine. And Mm. it's it's a puzzle movie. It's like they're uh, they're both together in a giant, strange, whimsical house. And I will leave it at that. And it is just a complete romp and perfectly realized on screen. So watch the original. Wow. Mm. Good note. Oh, also... Last week we we talked about Jake Gyllenhaal. Be remiss not to bring up proof. Oh, proof! Enjoy it. You a Gwyneth person, Michelle? <laughs> Am I a Gwyneth person? Yeah. Yeah, I like Gwyneth. Yeah, I'm, I'm a talented Mr. Ripley person. Please. So, oh and, yes, absolutely. And honestly, um, because of her performance in that, I will allow anything pretty much. I feel the I feel the same way. Yeah. I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I need to rewatch Shakespeare in Love. Because I've not seen it since it first came out, and I wasn't like a fan of it, but I feel like I would reappreciate you it. You want to watch it together? Ira, you want to watch it together on yeah. Zoom? Because I haven't watched it also since it came out. Yeah. Okay. I, it seems iconic. I thought this year would be Let's the. Have a group watch. I, I thought this year would be the one where Judy Dench gets Oscar number two, but I saw Belfast, and she doesn't get enough to do, and no. I think Ruth Nega, who is amazing in passing, wow. is going to beat her anyway. I have to see that. What'd you just call me? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, let. Honestly, hang up. Hang up. Edit me out of the whole episode, actually, if you don't mind. Just every part of my. <laughs> out of this all right when we're back keep it and we're back with our favorite segment of the episode it is keep it lewis lewis wants to fight with me this week is what he wants right so it's weird that I'm going first because it's going to be the longest fight. I think <laughs> um, my keep it is to the movie Spencer. I saw a bunch of movies this weekend and Spencer, I was surprised to say was my least favorite, mm. but here's my problem with this movie. Uh, I think it has no additional ideas about princess Diana. This movie to me takes the pre-existing Diana super fan mindset about Diana and just puts it on the screen and says, Yes, she was victimized. Yes, she was repressed. Yes, she was incredibly sad and tortured. And yes, no one was there to help her. And that is it. I Literally, I think the movie Candle in the Wind is more nuanced. I think it's a movie that wants to... You know, okay, I'll say this. Jackie at least had some additional ideas about uh, Jackie Onassis, which is to say, oh, she was kind of Machiavellian about the legacy of JFK. And they have scenes of her discussing how she researched prior presidents who had been assassinated or died. And Mm. yeah, she was a scammer. Whereas Princess Diana in this case, I think it's just, it's for people to say poor her at. It's it's for people who think poor her is an interesting take. And and I was just surprised we didn't get more out of it. And I will say additionally, Hmm. Kristen Stewart, who is giving a thumbs up performance in this movie, I generally enjoy it, still picks one cadence and does it again and again. 
I felt like we're kind of grading on a curve with her because we sort of underestimate or we don't uh, trust her ability to morph seamlessly into roles that are unlike Kristen Stewart. That said, she picked one sad way of saying things and then did it That's again and does. again. And the script doesn't demand much more, you know? So I'm, I can't say I love the performance, even though it's one of her wow. better performances. I don't know what you're talking about, loca. <laughs> you love this movie, don't you? I adore this movie. I think that there's so much more going on than the, you know, the Diana fanatics, the Dianetics um, is what I call sure. it, Diana fans. Uh, <laughs> I, first of all, love that it's like a ghost story. I love that it's more loose and more emotionally told than Jackie, which was so told with such precision. This feels, you know, like, um, is the movie really happening? Um, there's so much going on with her mind. But that's what I mean. But She's already a fairy tale. She's already a fairy tale. What does this take add? But also, I'm surprised that you think that it doesn't offer anything else beyond just like she was a victim. She was, you know, like hurt. She was put upon because I my takeaway from the movie is that it says that Diana, yes, is all of these things, but also she needed some help. And also that she was dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I thought the story was also saying that, like, um, she actually was kind of mentally ill. Uh, and, like, there was no, you know, um, real help or diagnosis that she was given. And that she actually, like, um, the royal family might have kind of been right. Uh-oh. That bothered me about that, specifically the royal family, is they didn't bother humanizing them either. It was like they're the enemy. Diana's the human, the wounded human, and nobody is understanding her true inner strength or inner thing that we all love about <laughs> Diana, that we all congratulate ourselves for understanding and accepting and loving. And I thought the mental illness angle was just another version of poor her. Mm. Mm. I was terrified for the kids in the film. And so I was I was actually on the side of the royal family. <laughs> okay. Wow. To be honest, for the first time in a Diana story, I was on the side of the royal family. And I was like, girl, get those kids away from her. We're CPS. <laughs> uh, I just want to say I haven't seen it. But um, I did see the first four minutes of the Diana musical on Netflix. It's as much as I could take physically and emotionally. And uh, it was one of the worst, most terrific things I've ever seen. And actually, Dan, who co-hosts my podcast with me, Midnight Snack, was like, let's go see Last Night in New York. He goes, let's, let's go see the Diana musical. I'm like, there's no way. There's so much Diana porn going on right now. It's mm -hmm. weird that we're in this weird mm -hmm. year where that's what everyone's glommed onto. I wonder if it's the Meghan Markle effect like why all of a sudden everyone's back on diana but anyway mm -hmm. i want to see markle the musical Ooh, okay? let's write it you think you're not going to get that yeah. you're definitely going to get that at some point so be prepared oh my god i'll play her dad i'm born <laughs> for the role <laughs> just me in a coffee shop reading books with big letters england remember when he was photographed doing that shit i was yeah. like he is hilarious like, this is horrible <laughs> I mean, the act one showstopper is silent or silence. Ooh. <laughs> I'll play Gail King's patio furniture. Like I have so I can tag myself in every scene in uh, the Markle musical. Oh, what am I saying? Of course, it would be like our town and Oprah's the stage manager who's like ushering us around their Santa Barbara estate. <laughs> their tea house. <sighs> uh, Michelle. Yes. What is your keep it? So I'm going to say keep it to um, love it or list it. Now, the reason why I'm saying that is because I um, 
I messed up the cable in my Airbnb and I can only watch like HGTV live. It's a really long story, but I can only watch like three channels. And so I've been watching a lot of Love It or List It. And I've decided that of all the HGTV shows, they have the worst actors on it. Like the couples are so fake on it. They're just like, wow, I really thought we could afford that island. Like they're just horrible. I watch and I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know, it's like take seven, like, I, while I was a Hillary, I was really hoping for that marble. Like, it's just shut up. It makes me cringe with anger. And the baldy, what's his name? Tom, I, is his name Thomas? I forget. Hillary for sure. Anyway, he's like, I don't know. He's like a Batman villain. And he takes him to these beautiful homes. I, I just... I'm describing a great show. You see these beautiful homes. Everyone's so happy. I'm over it. No, it just bothers me. And it's so scripted. Like at the end, when they say love it or list it, there's no fanfare. Give me something. You know, they just go, we've decided to list it. And then the credits run. I'm like, I spent an hour watching this. You know, I need something like Antiques Rocha, like, you know, ha, 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 ha. You know, when they do the price updates, yeah. like, give me a noise. Give me something. So I'm, I've had it with love it or list it. That's my official thing. That's so funny that you say that because recently yeah. I was talking about the most staged TV sh- or reality shows ever might be the mid-2000s MTV shows like Next, like the worst actors. Like, they, di- they didn't even care. They, they didn't have one, like, authenticity um, ambassador on that show who ma- made sure people could act. I shaved up to the knee and I'm going to make it count. Like that's an impression. Like just everybody like, why? Like even the housewives are, you know, Laurence Olivier compared to these people. I'll forget it. I'm I'm honestly supposed to believe that MTV really raided your home. (laughs) Right. Knocked up, kicked open the doors like like they were, like they were the feds. Uh, And they're like, we're about to search your room. And it's a dating show. Right. And they're always greeted with like, just eek. Like the people are so aware that they're there. They're like, what is this? A used condom? All the yeah. plants in that show? He's make me nuts. Right. Uh. Or the guy who's just in his boxer shorts. And they're like, I don't even have time to put on pants. And they're like, let's go. Let's go. Nonsense. Yeah, gross. But I miss yeah, it. Yeah, no, we do. I do. It's time for the reboot. Uh. <laughs> Ira, what's your keep it? Okay. My keep it this week um, has a little nuance in it because I'm not mad at this person in particular, but my keep it goes to Harry Styles being on the cover of every fucking magazine. Mm-hmm. Well, he's like, and he's like Dame Edna now. We just like, is it with his like larger than life costumes? I've kind yeah. of he had He looks it. like me from the neck down. I'm sorry to interrupt, <laughs> but every picture I'm seeing of him, I'm like, you could Photoshop my head. It looks like someone put his head over me. Like he, we have the same beautiful ankles, broad shoulder. I'm like, this is my body. Okay, continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm of like two opinions of this because one, he looks good and the fashion is on point. I actually disagree with every gay band on Instagram or Twitter who always has to have this opinion that um he what is this honey what's he wearing I'm like okay well you know what you take your dirty converse to horse meat disco <laughs> and you worry about what your fashion is baby okay because the looks are actually on point but my problem is that the fashion industry when it comes to male magazines is so behind a fucking curve you know and it's not that like women's magazines uh and like women's fashion are like that inclusive of like every like 
shape and you know body type um or you know like um anything different all the time but men's magazines really really are not you know it's just sort of like let's put a dress on a twink or a guy with muscles and that's queer Mm -hmm. you know let's call it a day you know like you there's really no difference in like the images that we put out of um men um that we should be attracted to like on magazine covers or you know within fashion it's the same sort of body type that the same you know like um fashion people are attracted to you know and there's there's been no push in the other way of like where you see like um the fenty show or something right like there's no internal push for people in men's fashion to have to do any of that i am i had to buy swim trunks a couple years ago and i went to the asos men's department because i just wanted met like shorts uh and then that's when i discovered the asos men's curve i think that's what it's like they're it's their bigger men's clothing yes and you asos men's plus men's plus and i had never seen i was like scrolling in awe because it was just all these like chubby hot guys wearing like mesh t-shirts i was just like i've never seen pictures like this yeah. it was really um surprising and then i ordered a pair of shorts that were like quadruple xl and they were too small where were we i'm so sorry they were- <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is <laughs> i like, u- i use i use that uh, I do order from that line of ASOS, and I feel like when people see me in like uh, a shirt or like some jeans or something, they're like, "Where's this from?" And I'm like, "Baby, it's from ASOS." Yeah. But you would never know because every other piece of clothing is either it's either that or it's made for, um, you know, um, someone doing Comedia dell'arte. Okay, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is what Harry yeah. Styles is doing. <laughs> My brand. Okay, and you know, it's <laughs> yeah. it's made for the the. Skinny twink mm. uh, from Europe who shops at Zara, or oh. you have to swing in the other direction. But as you said, that other direction is like you've never seen yeah. any person like that on a magazine cover. And it's just sort of the Harry Styles thing is giving lazy in the sense that um, it's not exactly it's not queer baiting in the way that like Nick Jonas was on magazine covers constantly, like being sold to gay men. Um, but it is a thing, and it's just sort of like. This is the only attractive body type we know. Also, we're just lazy, so we're just going to put Harry Styles in a dress constantly. Yeah, it's it's getting know? a little repetitive. It's a little repetitive. Yeah, I just want to also say that when you said, baby, it's ASOS, it reminded me of Cameron Manheim on old red carpets, screaming at the press, like, ask me where the shoes are from. And then she goes, it's Payless, baby. Anyway, just when, that's, that's what you sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, Did you see, wait, I've always can I take my... it? To, I know we have a guest. Can I just say a 10 second thing, which you can definitely edit out? Did you see now that ASOS has like merged with Nordstrom? I'm not comfortable with that. Mm. Have they? Yes. If you go to Nordstrom.com and I'm like, listen, ASOS is like my junky garbage, flammable, disposable, genuinely clothing, which I know I'm killing the environment. Everyone is. Okay. Call Vladimir Mm. Putin, then call me. Like I'm not in the mood. (laughs) But anyway, long story short. Yeah. I don't like that, Ira. I feel like ASOS should be its own junk, like separated from the Nordstrom junk. I've never gotten clothes faster. Did Nordstrom also take Top Man? Yes. They Uh did. Yes. Yeah. Like, what is Nordstrom? Why are they snatching these things up? I like Nordstrom is supposed to be class. Okay. But you know what? When I go into Nordstrom at the Grove, which is the diametrical opposite of class, 
Um, I love the Grove. There's, mm. th- there's, there's no more. There's, there's no more class. There's no more glamour in Nordstrom. Okay, like I miss the department store experience. Mm. Okay, where's some champagne? I love that. Where's a fur coat? Yes. Where's the, where's the shop girl flung from space to help me find my Gucci shoes? Mm, nice reference. Let me tell you another thing. I went to Saks recently. It's a long story. There was nobody working there. You want to go to Saks and have a great time? Go to the Fifth Avenue, Saks Fifth Avenue. Literally, try on anything you want. Go to Chanel. Go here. Go there. No one will stop you. I've never had that happen before. It was like being like um, Eloise at the plaza. I was like, does anyone work here? Is it, you know, my mother has a saying sometimes when she goes into an empty store, she goes, Michelle, not even the flies were there. And that's how Saks felt. We Ooh. can move on. I'm so sorry. No, I just want to say about a- ASOS and uh, Top Man, both for gay men who want to dress mostly like Jiminy Cricket. So I do appreciate that they're in one place. That said, Nordstrom's is an odd HQ for that situation. I don't like it. Yeah. Not for me. Well, now that we've co- officially come for Nordstrom, uh, and they will never let me shop in there again, they're going to cancel my membership, is what they're going to do. Uh, <laughs> thank you to Michelle Collins for joining us this week. Thank you. N- never more an organic part of Keep It. I, you're, it's not enough to say I find you funny. I think you are amazing, and uh, amazing at what you do, too. I love you both um, like relatives, and I actually hate my family, so that's an insult. <laughs> But let me add that uh, <laughs> that you can follow me on Instagram at Mishkol, M-I-C-H-C-O-L-L. And I would do this any week. Ask me. I just adore you both. Thank you. I think we need more of like a um, Battle of the Network stars like thing. You know, yeah. like we like podcast tours, but with like multiple podcasts. I would go up. on tour with you guys. Let's uh, take that one off air. I think that would be fun. Yeah. Fuck yes. Yeah. Yes, and uh, thank you to Stephen Young for joining us this week as well. Uh, we'll see you next week with more Keep It. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Caroline Reston. And our associate producer is Brian Semmel. Our executive producer is Ira Madison III. But I, Louis Fertel, do a good job too. Our audio engineers are Charlotte Landis and Kyle Seglin, and the show is mixed and edited by Charlotte Landis. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Nar Melkonian, and Milo Kim for production support every week. Vacations are always good. Sometimes they're even great. And Celebrity Cruises is about to ruin all of that. Because once you explore with us, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And with new Quick Caribbean Escapes, you'll never want a weekend any other way either. Celebrity Cruises. Nothing comes close. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador.